Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. The Toronto Film Festival starts up this week, and my guest is actor, playwright, director, and screenwriter Daniel McIver, who has a freaking Governor General's Award for drama. His stage works include the solo shows House, Here Lies Henry, Monster, and Cul-de-Sac. He also wrote Marion Bridge, and then rewrote it as a screenplay for a feature film, he did that for House, too, now that I think about it. He wrote and directed the feature films Past Perfect and Will Be Wonderful. And in 2010, he wrote Bruce McDonald's Trigger for Molly Parker and Tracy Wright. And he'll be at TIFF this Friday, September 9th, alongside Parker and McDonald for the world premiere of their new film, Weirdos. Set in 1976, on the eve of America's bicentennial, it's a black-and-white character piece following two teenagers hitchhiking from one small Nova Scotia town to another, and it's more than a little personal. Daniel chose Sunday Bloody Sunday. John Schlesinger's complex, challenging 1971 study of the emotional and sexual dynamics between a doctor, played by Peter Finch, a bohemian, played by Glenda Jackson, and the lover they share, played by Murray Head. Revolutionary at the time for its matter-of-fact treatment of its character's sexuality, it's now almost more intriguing for what it says about English cinema then and now, and for its tremendously felt performances, which haven't aged a day. This is someone else's movie. It's uh, the only movie that I've seen multiple times. I've seen it probably a dozen times. And the it, only one? Yeah, the only movie. Uh, I've seen, you know, I've, I think I've seen Big Fish three or four times. Um, uh, I probably saw Dog Day Afternoon three times. Right. But this is the double, this is the only double digit. And it started off, uh, you know, because I, I thought, of course, I thought, you know, why? I was thinking about that question and... Uh, First of all, um, Glenda Jackson, I think, was what drew, drew me to it, and, and because she's such, you know, she's that, she's that, she's an actor, that kind of actor, yeah. that kind of perfect sort of actor for me. And then, um, uh, and it was one of those things where I would be somewhere and it would be screening. I was in Montreal, and there was a little. This is bit, like decades ago, and there was this tiny little hole in the wall cinema on Saint Laurent and I it was screening and I saw so oh that was the second time and then I was working I was doing a residency in Banff and it happened to be screening and <laughs> so and then about I guess probably 10 years ago I they did a thing at um uh at the ROM they did that the, the sort of a film series they did my movies and then they get they I picked my I could pick a movie to screen oh, so yeah. I picked this one and so it's just been and what and um I just there's a couple of reasons why I love the movie. And when I watched it again the other day, I was thinking about, you know, what it is about the movie. And something that I hadn't really considered that I, about the movie is how it eschews, it would not be all the rules. So that it would, you would never get this movie developed today. Yeah. And that's so exciting. I love well, it. It's because- almost hostile to a conventional narrative arc, right? Well, it's those, you start, it goes, you think, you know, it starts, it goes, Friday. Okay. Saturday. Okay, here it comes Sunday. Okay, Tuesday. Yeah. Thursday. Like, okay, what? Like, it's so off, you know, it throws yeah. you. Well, you're led to, to expect the climax, and it yeah. just doesn't happen. And just it doesn't happen. Going. And I read something really interesting recently when the Criterion came out, and so it introduced it to a lot of people, new people, and so someone wrote about it, and a new per- someone who's new to it wrote about it, and they said, 
I, they said that, that very thing that it wouldn't you would never get it developed today and that um, the the idea of the, the conflict is such that it's unresolvable yeah. from the beginning it's not you know this is not going to work out so it's delightful to me that you know I have this my new rant is about conflict okay and and it's about um, producers ask, looking for conflict and they want it in a treatment like they want it so it's sort of to me it's like the metaphor is you know you it's like you plant um, you plant some corn and you say here look seeds in dirt and they say well it doesn't taste like corn it's <laughs> like well it, no wait yeah. I, you know it'll come the conflict will come and so I, I have a big problem uh, forcing conflict into story because then it becomes then it falls it falls to my lowest self like that conflict becomes my most unevolved thinking okay and so it's it's always yeah. going to be should expose some prejudice of my own as a human being that conflict yeah. whereas if I can let it sort of holistically develop out of that fiction then it's going to be you know well it'll be the character's conflict it'll belong it'll to be them. evolved yeah. conflict and um, anyway so this film uh has the conflict is unresolvable and um and also who's the protagonist yeah right it's it's yeah, yeah. it's i mean it's it's clearly her or glenda jackson or peter finch but but is it yeah, yeah i don't know that it is yeah. i think I, it, I honestly had not even thought about that until you mentioned it but i think the couple is the protagonist i think we are forced over the course of the, the movie to to watch the way it affects them not as individuals, but as a unit. And I... I'd never when you say the couple, you mean each couple, like the couple... Oh, that's even more interesting. <laughs> no, I no, I meant Finch and Jackson, but I think you're right. I think you're right. I think it's the, the various combinations. It's almost like a Lazy Susan that it just keeps rolling around and presenting. And who's the... Who, and who is the couple? Like, who's the... Who's the ultimate couple? Who's the ultimate couple? Well, maybe it is Finch and Jackson. Maybe. And because you know they also talk about the, the guy, the person who wrote about it for, after the Criterion came out, and he talked about how uh, Murray Head is sort of has really nothing. There's no he has no appeal other than his sort of youth. Really, mm-hmm. there's not you know, and it's like well, it's true. He is so self involved and selfish, and but uh, and then there's yeah. So there's so much about the movie that is so uh, outside the realm of what we. My concern is that we, you know, the more we're not asked to tell stories that way, the less we'll tell them that way. Sure. And so what you get when you look at a movie like Sunday Bloody Sunday is really a movie about feelings and people having them. That scene where Glenda Jackson is eating fudge and crying is just, uh, as an actor, it's, you, I mean, you can feel the fudge, you know, you know yeah. that thing of eating and crying. And if you're eating, fi- if you've ever eaten fudge and cried, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it, 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 but you get it, you get it, that's what the movie's about that in a way more than it is about the situation. Yeah. It, and so you get, and you get an opportunity to see actors do things and live in it. And, uh, and it's, it's, so it's not, it's not all, there's the, there's no, there's really no, there's no engine on it because it even the engine, you know, and this thing about, you know, put an engine on it. Oh God, if I hear that again from a producer, but, um, the, so they subvert that by going Friday, yeah, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, like, yeah, the, the engine blew up. Yeah. It just, it surprises me every time I am reminded, cause I never, it, it won't stay in my head. I don't know why this little fact, this little chronology, I always think Schlesinger made it before Midnight Cowboy. Yeah, me too. It feels like a weird little yeah. indie that he wouldn't have been interested in or offered. Yeah. 
But it's the reverse. He made Midnight Cowboy. It won the Oscar. And then, then he, he can do whatever one. he wants. He does this. I know. It's really... I've always, I always think that, too. I forget. And, of course, it, it does... It comes after. Yeah. And it doesn't feel like a 1971 movie. It feels like 67 or 68. It feels like the start of that filmic renaissance where people could do anything and attempt anything. Uh well, but, and all, but also, you know, the, you say that, but it's funny, too, because I just went through this weird year of anxiety. I have, like, rediscovered, like, rediscovered anxiety. It's been fabulous. And, um, and a lot of that was sort of health-based. And it was... So that first scene w- where the guy's like, tell me what it is, doctor. It's yeah. like, oh, my God, that, that's, t- that's so current. Yeah, that's so... That's it feels so familiar and so current, other than the reference to the bowler hat. But um, <laughs> um, anyway, so it, there's something about it that feels... And that kiss, the male, it's the first sort of mainstream male-male kiss in, yeah. in a film. And it's so nothing. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel important. No, it it's... It feel like it's insisting on pay, being recognized. No, the they're wearing their coats. And he's wearing his coat in the kitchen. And he's come Like, it's just this moment. And it's more than a pack. It's a kiss. It's a kiss between lovers. But it's in a kitchen. And it's not... It doesn't lead to a bed. Yeah. It's, you know, and so it's... No, it's immediately normalized. Yeah. Like, it doesn't... It doesn't leave you... It doesn't invite you to be scandalized, I guess, is the way I would feel. Well, it. yeah, and the thing that the, the, the really, um, probably the most remarkable thing about it for the period is that you have a, a fully, a, 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 very, a, a very evolved, uh, successful um, homosexual male who is not obsessed with his sexuality. Yeah. Uh, who... Um, his Judaism is almost more important, right? Yeah, certain yeah. The and then, and yeah, so, and he's having this affair with this bisexual artist, which which is only upsetting to him to the extent that he shares him, but even less upsetting than to the woman, to Glenda Jackson. And then, but also, he has this weird dalliance with a potential hustler who steals his medicine bag, his medical bag. But and there's no, but there's really no. You know, he wakes up after that and he has a moment of like, oh, what a night. But there's no, he doesn't beat himself up over it. He, you know, it's so it's a very, it's a well-adjusted man. Maybe that's it too that makes it so revolutionary is that he's not punished for his sexuality right. by the film. Like he's not, or the audience. Like we're not encouraged at any point to. I'm just thinking about the way even you know Van Sant's stuff early on is sure. about how revolutionary it is that this is happening. Yeah. That the movie is so delighted to be able to display the behavior that it gets excited about it. Whereas Schlesinger's approach is to just have him right there in the world and get on with it. You know, I mean, he's closeted at, at, he's closeted at the bar mitzvah right. and, but that's, but that's he, the cultural thing. That's, yeah. yeah. And so it, he, it's, it doesn't, and, but he's not, but he doesn't, he's not tortured about that closet. He's, he does it because it's necessary at that time, and then mm. he, then and then there's the, he you know and then he's off playing charades with all his gay friends and you know uh, and those great you know that little charade the moment where they're playing charades and Mary Head's doing something with Peter Finch and the guy at the party guesses my heart belongs to Daddy and you know the, there's such a sense of humor about that the age the sort of the May September of that relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't apologize and it's there's no shame in it. Um, it's you know, and that, there's no I, celebration either. It's just there. Like it's well, I mean, what, Roger Ebert, because I was doing some research in preparation, and famously, I guess it, now I didn't realize it was famously, but he spoke about it. He loved the movie, and he spoke about how it's a movie about the absence of love, mm. which I thought was very interesting because it doesn't feel like a love story. Um, 
and um, but 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 so so no not no there's certainly not a celebration, um, and then and then there's so much but there's so much about England. Uh, it's funny too when you like really observing it this time and thinking looking at like all everything on the radio is ec- at the economic crisis. Yeah. It's like oh right things change I guess <laughs> and uh, so there's that, you know there that that there's that. That st- the, 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 even those little scenes on the street where the like the 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 the, the drugged out sort of um, uh, uh, t- teens and uh, yeah. uh, it all feels very current somehow. Yeah, it's it's odd. It's one of those movies that you're right. I don't think you could remake it now, but I don't think you'd want to. Well, you couldn't. Well, the phone. Would, yeah, that, I was thinking about that recently too. What about how to remake it and. Yeah, the, there's, it's so central to this. Well, it's a it's a theme, I guess. This the uh, um, they share an answering service, right? Um, and that's part of what's interesting to Schlesinger. Uh, but yeah, now, no, I guess you a misplaced text message or something. Yeah, you couldn't really. But you, you but you see, you could you they wouldn't you couldn't make the movie now because they'd say. Where's the conflict? Where's yeah. his? He, he should be messed. He should be totally destroyed about this. And he, you know, and that crazy ending, that insane ending where he addresses the camera directly. Yeah. And suddenly he's addressing the camera. Are you kidding? They would never allow that. Yeah. Like it's the only moment in the film where anything like that occurs. Yeah, it's such an odd theatrical touch. It didn't. I remember the first time I saw it. It didn't surprise me. It just felt like. I must have been in my mid-twenties. And it just felt like this was the only way that you could get that out. Short of, uh, you know, an epigram. Short of just putting up text on a screen. I've been stymied by it. I've mm-hmm. been, I've been, I've loved it and I've hated it. And most recently I've been really moved by it. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe because my age, I've been, I'm old enough to understand that it doesn't need to be explained. And that it, it is, it's, it's like you're saying, I think, that, that it was the only way to finish. Yeah. Because um, it's so audacious a decision after all this kitchen sink realism to just suddenly have direct address. Sure. And then what's he t- and what's he saying? Like, and then he ends. I just that last line is I only came about my cough. Like, and he's he's making a metaphor about about asking advice or something. But yet, it's just the strangest way to end the movie. But it's so weirdly moving. And 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 you, when you think about the fact that it's this is a man who has been planning this trip to Italy with his lover who's left him basically and now he's going to go on his own and he's okay yeah and he's that's what he says it's so i think that's what's really touching too is he says i don't know what we were but we were something yeah and that's so evolved in terms of relationship yeah it's um it's something that i associate with novels more than anything else the idea that you can spend all your time reflecting on something and then just take comfort from it having happened and you know having moved forward it's hard to do on film i mean sometimes you'll get what am I thinking of? Um, the end of Magnolia, where you just get this little flash of a smile and a glimmer of hope in some in Melora Walter's mm-hmm. face, and you just realize, oh, that's an epiphany. That's as close as this movie gets to ecstasy. Is the possibility it's like of the end of Synecdoche? Uh, 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 syn- uh, yes, where he says, Which is, "I know what it's about." Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's the different kind of ecstasy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of, 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 like a, I know it. I know what it's about. Transitional ecstasy. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just find that ending 
you know, there, at, at different times in my life when I've seen the movie, it always seems to come around, you know, when I need it or when I when I when it's something's shifting. But I've been at times infuriated by that ending, mm. um, and this most recently I was quite moved by it. So, what was your first experience? Did you did you how did you respond to the ending the first time? the first time I was very, I, I I I you know the I think the first time it could have been it for me it could have been Derek Jarman. It was that kind of the whole right. movie was like like I found I, because I was so it was so unusual I didn't see it in the I I didn't see it in, I would I was eight or something so I didn't see it at when it first came out but when I did see it it was it was it was it it, it pretended to a kind of naturalism it, it did what well, did have na- full naturalism but then suddenly there were these strange superimpositions or these flights of fancy or then there's the running with the gas mask as a girl and the father and what is it what does it mean what what her privilege and what does that mean and how does that and then you know in the and the sight of a gas mask in 1971 England would still have had real resonance there too so it's removed from its context for you but it means something yeah. then and so the, I was it could have been Jarman or it could have been uh, yeah, I think I probably saw it, and I probably did see it around. Um, what was um, um, who was uh, is that in two knots? Um, oh, Greenaway. 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 It could have been like a Greenaway. Like it was that bizarre to me that yeah. that that. Um, and then of course now, then late, you know, as I've kind of come to love it more and more and, and know it more, it it it's it's this sort of very normal comfort or something, but. Yeah. Um, but at first, it was so uh, it was really audacious is is a word that you used, and I think that that's you know um, uh, uh, unsettling. And and how old were you at the time? Like who, I would have been in my twenties. And like where were you? In yeah, your self-awareness? I th- well, and all, yeah, I think I think that the 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 and it probably you know I think that probably it was I probably was it was when I started getting you know going to get I, I probably became aware of it because I was doing a lot of the gay film festivals and traveling and meeting filmmakers who were recommending films and and so it, I probably saw it as first time I saw it was in, in terms of a gay film context right. and um, uh, that would have been my focus and and um, I would imagine that at the, in my twenties, I might have been disappointed at the lack of drama yeah. around the gay it's, stuff. I can see that. I mean, it surprised me when I saw it, and I must—I would have been somewhere around the same age. Um, that yeah, this was the big gay movie. This was the big yeah. deal because I liked it, but I was expecting a very different experience based on the pitch. Yeah, yeah, and it didn't have that. And now, of course, that's so great. That's yeah. so perfect. And. Um, but it's that you know. I mean, I'm sure that you know. Uh, uh, I'm sure that m- movie lovers like you have many movies that you probably come back to and come back to. But this is it for me. This is my movie that that I, I come back to, and it comes back to me. Yeah, so. and that's the thing that I love the most about watching movies over and over again. As a like, as you're aware of your own aging and your own situation, the movie is fixed in time. It doesn't change. We do. And so finding new things or coming up with different interpretations, I just that's the thing that you can do it with any art form, obviously. But somehow with cinema, it's always been the one that's spoken to me. It's it's the thing that I'm most interested in. I'm going to go see Jaws again on Monday because uh, right. they're screening it, and it's like it's my one of my favorite films, and I lose myself in it every time, and the craft of it just sweeps me away. But I always find that I'm just valuing a different thing in the film somehow. Like I'll pay attention to 
there was one time where I just watched it and all I was thinking about were the clothes and right. in nineteen seventy five right. and how it doesn't feel like a period film. And right. I still don't know why. It's cause it's cause people wear jeans. Like right. It's right. Really other than a couple of hairstyles, there are no right. real tells. You, I think you can note uh, um, I, I, as a gay man, I'll tell you, you if you note that the waist the height of the waist of the jean. Right. And Roy yes. Schreider's his, his, that would be Schneider's a tell. his jeans. That's a tell. Yeah. Um and yeah, I know that uh, Dreyfus is wearing what could be construed as hippie stuff, but it just doesn't. Now it looks like normal hipster clothes. Right. It's yeah. Hands. It's uh, but I wonder about you know, uh, I wonder about the culture of where you where you sort of buy a movie, a rent a movie online. Mm. You don't buy them. You don't. People. Pro- I wonder if the culture of rewatching is going to disappear a bit. I don't. I'm. People, do people still own movies? Yeah, do people I mean, go out and buy movies? Do people buy movies? Do people buy movies on iTunes and own them? You can. You yes, can, you but can, do they? You can choose to. I don't know what the numbers are. I, I don't know if they've ever made that sort of thing. I mean, obviously... The, well, I honestly don't know. Like, what happens when you when you sell a film to uh, to a distributor on demand? You'll You'll get residuals you'll get a sense of how much money it's making but you won't know how the money is being made that's right is it rental or is it like purchase? where the ancillary rights are broken up but is it, it so but i wonder if it's become you know this the similarly i'm like there's something disposable disposable about it and mm-hmm. and that's and it brings me back to this idea of that time must be spent in a particular way now when you're in terms of developing a film and suggesting right. a script to someone they want to know that the time needs to be spent that goddamn fucking story thing about page 19 right. something has, this has to happen and so you're that. talking okay so 20 minutes of time you get and then something has you know something has to change in 20 minutes right. well really does it I don't know maybe it doesn't maybe nothing changes ever you know um, which is fine by me I can watch my dinner with Andre I don't have a problem with my dinner with Andre because yeah. when he's crying in the alley and saying I could live in my work but never in my life oh my god I can't even say that without wanting to cry but that's like that's better than a car exploding to me yeah. um, so anyway I have I'm, I, I've got to bug up my ass about this stuff but this is all valid too I mean it's all, I agree with you first of all I, I think that the idea of the you know, cinema as play, as radio play, as three-act structure, the thing that's evolved, that narrative has become since the earliest days. I mean, just look at television now, where um, a show like Better Call Saul can move as slowly as it does, because we know the ending, or we think we do. And that gives the storytellers this incredible power of delayed gratification. So you can spend an hour on this tiny element of one character's backstory that was referenced in another show, like in another series years ago, is now this meta-narrative that takes over. And you live in it, and nothing happens that we don't already know. That's the thing that amazes me. And this, there was an episode that flashed back to Mike Urbantrat's son being killed, uh, caught up in a, dirt, in a dirty cop scandal. And it was, it's a throwaway line in Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. One episode in like season four, I think, that has been teased out and developed and it's an hour long and it's incredible because even though we know where it's going and we know what's going to happen and we know in the end that nothing will befall these characters that are alive in Breaking Bad because that hasn't happened yet I'm still just so invested in it because yeah I care I care about the character and I want to know how this affects him not how it moves the plot forward because it doesn't and not whether there will be suspense because there won't I just 
I'm invested. I, and it doesn't have to be like that has a beginning, middle, and an end, but it doesn't affect the like. It's not an incident that anyone would care to watch in a, in a larger story. Yeah, the, because I think with television, the ending is somewhere in the distance. Right. It's coming. But it's not, we don't have to find the ending in these 60 minutes or whatever. Whereas in the film, they want, you know, the ending's coming. You're going to all go home and we're not coming back. And, you know, so I think Better Call Saul is such an interesting example because I I loved season one so much. And I didn't love season two as much. And the reasons why I didn't was when I felt the conflict was being, was being, was being, uh, uh, manipulated the relationship with the brother okay. to me is un- as unsatisfying because I, I see it coming miles and miles away it's not surprising oh right that stuff so yeah. that bugs me the, I, you know I, and so I don't I, to me I don't need it Yeah, I don't need that it's interesting I think McKean is doing such a well I mean because I, I, I've been listening to uh, the writers panel a tremendous podcast that, uh, that Ben Blacker is producing for, for Nerdist I think it's still Nerdist uh, they had uh, Gilligan and oh god, I'm going to blank on his name. The uh, the actual Peter Gould, um, the guys running the show. Okay. Mm-hmm. They had them on and they talked about it. And apparently, that all evolved out of them loving McKeon. He wasn't the the brother wasn't the antagonist in the in the original concept. Okay. Chuck just became the big bad over the course of season one because they realized that they had McKeon and he could do it. And they thought that was more interesting and that the sibling rivalry thing becoming toxic and and metastasizing was a good metaphor for the cancer drive and you know Breaking Bad and all this stuff and in season two it's like I don't I don't I'm not bothered by the fact that it's building to that reveal because I want to see how Jimmy figures it out that's the hook for me it's not that yeah like the, again the plot doesn't matter to me because none of it matters yeah what interests me is the moral evolution or lack of you know, like the moral uh, degradation of this character who's in the middle and who's going to be tipped towards the dark side. Yeah, and yeah. Watching him be disillusioned how, is how, actually the drama, we, right? Which is also kind of subversive in that we know where he's going. Mm-hmm. And yes, like you said, yeah. So, um, but, but but you yeah, know, I have I lose for you. I lose it when around conflict that is feels imposed that for purposes that I don't I don't need it. Right. And and so and I you know I get really attached to you know the the tone and the speed of it and and it was so i, I was so d- delightful um i still i still love it it's still one of the best things that's out there but if you're not yeah if you're not connecting to that nece- the necessary point because you've seen it making. through right well, you've seen it you've seen it i've this, finished the second yeah, season yeah 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 so th- yeah we will we'll, we'll say but it, yeah. it's so it but becomes, yeah if you're not surprised by where that's going and i wasn't either uh, but, but you didn't yeah. need to be yeah exactly it right. just I'm not. Ex- it's weird. I'm not expecting catharsis. I but just I, watch but, the. But I'm second guessing their intention. Right. So I'm thinking their intention is somehow to surprise me, and if it is, they failed. Okay. But I might be wrong. But some people were like the AV Club review. I think I remember being surprised that they. Oh, this huge twist! It's like no, that's yeah, was that's been coming, coming that's and coming. There. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I'm so that's the. I mean, that's me second guessing what. Like I'm yeah. just trying to. I'm, I'm imagining their intention. I don't know their mm-hmm. intention. Well, this is why I don't watch trailers. This is exactly the reason. Right. I don't want to know anything going in. I don't want any information that I'm going to start working with while I watch the story unfolding. Because if I know that this is a movie about... Uh, well, The Light Between Oceans is about a couple that finds a, a couple unable to have a child of their own who find a baby uh, in a lifeboat and decide to keep it. So I know that. I, and I saw that this morning. And I would have spent the first 
20 minutes, oh, well, this is why they are going to find the baby. This is, this is required. And I hate that. I just, I want to, I want the movie to tell me things when the movie wants me to know things. And to, you know, if you're, if you're being led to a conclusion, that's great. But I don't want to, like, even with Sunday Bloody Sunday, I don't want to know the precise nature of the relationships before I start seeing them play out. Yeah, I remember one of the, I own it, and uh, the trailer is on, I don't know if it's on the Criterion. Oh, I remember but, that, yeah. And the trailer is like, what? Like, the trailer is like, and that great, that kind of 70s, you know, yeah. shocking, you know, that like that voice, that British guy who would do the shocking, never before seen. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's, it's so, who cuts the, tra- why well, the trailer is cut to sell tickets. And right. so it doesn't really have any bearing on the movie yeah. at all. I think I would have made it, I mean, my teaser for that would have simply been the kiss in the, in the kitchen. Right. Just, you know, follow him in, have it happen, put the title up with, you know. Yeah, yeah. Why is it yeah. bloody? What's bloody about yeah, that? That's, yeah, that, that alone is interesting, but now what? I love the you know I love it too but there's just so many weird great touches in that movie and I love the um, when she goes in the morning and she I love that how she lives and that she has her co- she has her instant coffee and the hot water from the tap yeah and then and she and she knocks over an ashtray and it's and so excited and in a rush to leave and then when she comes home she has to deal with it. And it's a, it's, it says everything about time and expectation and disappointment and the, what life really is. Mm-hmm. It's really cleaning up the ashtray. And, but then someone pointed out um, the, this thing I keep referring to um, the, after the, criteria, the review of the Criterion where um, he talks about it and the fact that she pushes, she sort of just works the, the ashes into the very expensive carpet with her foot. Uh, it talks about her privilege in a way that I hadn't really kind of thought about, but sure, why not? So there's these small gestures that are full, they're so full of so much. Yeah. And it, the movie's full of it. Yeah, so much of British cinema, too, requires... Uh, of, well, I'm, I'm overstepping. So much of the British cinema of that era requires a specific knowledge of how the class system works in England, because mm-hmm. it's always about class. Right. But the more time that passes seems to render it un- more universal somehow like yeah. it's the culture's not as alien as it well i mean i because i think that what what really what that what they're really what we're really 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 talking about right now in in contemporary north american society's class mm-hmm. we're calling it gender and we're calling it race but we're talking about class yeah it all starts with where and you come it, from and 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 some and at some point it's going to crack open and we'll see that that yeah. very clearly but when we you know it's it's happening but anyway but i think maybe that's why because we're starting to see feel the effects of what they've lived with forever yeah i wonder i mean i i flatter myself i think by thinking i'm a little more aware of the stuff than the average person but i'm probably not i mean i'm probably just as protected if not more so than the average Twitter user uh, from the world around them. I, I did this whole thing on the bubble effect about you know the DC and Marvel projects mm-hmm. becoming sports teams, which went viral because John Hodgman retweeted it, and you know he has a million followers, and suddenly it became a thing for about a day. And of course, it applies to everything else as well. Someone immediately pointed out, well, this is Trump too. Like if you only if you're a DC fan, you have the opportunity now with social media to only follow other DC fans, and so when somebody says, oh. You know, Batman vs Superman is terrible, and Suicide Squad is a moderate improvement, but it's still pretty bad. Then you think, well, but you're attacking my thing, and it's my thing, and everybody else around me says it's a great thing. So what do you mean? That's Trump. That's Harper. That's you know Justin Trudeau. It's all the same uh, in terms of the tribalism that it's generating. So I'm sure I've been living in that sort of bubble. I just 
pride myself on having a liberal bubble and therefore I'm better than that. Well, you know, but I, I'll tell you, what, the, the thing about Twitter for me that, that, um, that then that's the one social media that I participate in is, uh, you know, I don't think of it as a place to get information. I, I actually think of it as like my local. Okay. So I just want like people, I, I mean, people say about you're just getting the echo effect with when you, you know, where you're not following you know, people that you disagree with. Right. But I think of it as like, I just go to, go to sit, hang out with some nice people. And then I just see them. Sometimes you just see them across the room. And I see people across the room that I like chatting. And occasionally there's a crazy person comes into the bar right. and they do something. And it's like, it's just, I kind of, go, I go in for my lunch and I go in, sometimes I go in for the, in the morning for a drink and then I'll come, you know, in the evening I might, you know, so to me it's more, so I do understand that, that, that idea of like, you kind of want to have a broader base of, of information, but nah, <laughs> I just want to have a nice evening. I like that. <laughs> We're like the seals in, um. Uh, finding Dory barking at the one that they don't want on the rock. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a weird place to be to, you know, what's the term to, to people who have suddenly sort of in the last couple of months or maybe even the last year realized the value in proclaiming yourself an ally rather than doing anything. It's just right. easier to have that label, right? Like, Oh, I'm, I'm one of the good ones. But if you have to call yourself that, if you, like word, it's deeds, not words. If you have to draw your attention to this, you're not actually serving anything. You're distracting from whatever's going on to say, "Hey, I'm helping." It's like, okay, pick up a shovel, like, yeah. do something, do something. Yeah, yeah. and I've, yeah. I've become a little uneasy with that. Yeah, that's a funny thing, right? That like um, your your thoughts and prayers are not doing anything yeah. apparently. But yeah. uh, I mean, we we evolve structures as humans to you know, like I'm so sorry or my condolences, things that you say. Uh, I'm sorry for your loss is one that I've always found incredible. Like, it's not comforting, really, but it's meant to comfort. And so we recognize the intention behind it, which is the, I wish I was more eloquent. I wish I had something else to say, but this is what we say. It's funny, the one I use all the time that, that's come up under fire is, uh, I hope you're well. Really? I use it all the time in my emails. I often start with it. so And I do it because I do hope the person is well, but I have some business to talk about. So right. I'm just going to get this out of the way at the beginning. I hope you're well. And, yeah. but apparently now it's become like the new don't, it's, it's like don't, it's like, um, it's not, uh, it's not kosher. Really? I close with hope all is otherwise well all the time. Yeah. Apparently they know. I don't agree. I, I mean it when I say it. I actually do hope. Yeah. things are well so is and this like people hunting down the sociopaths in their midst and saying you, you know the only person who would use that is somebody who doesn't mean it yeah it was something it was in it was in the New York Times somebody wrote about it in the Times recently someone <laughs> wrote a little op-ed about hope you're well it's, thing yeah wow of all the things you can take exception to speaking of words you know what if we if there was a remake of Sunday Bloody Sunday you know what it needs to be called Sunday fucking Sunday because that's what it is sure. and that's the thing when I talk about the movie to people they say oh is it the one about the uh, the massacre of right. and it's like no 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 it's not that kind of blood that's just bloody Sunday yeah Paul Greengrass has co-opted it it's, it's a Sunday fucking Sunday Sunday fucking Sunday how would you do it though like how would you stage it um, would you set it well period? actually it's would funny it I thought about it? you know I thought oh you know one way to work this out would be to try to do it as a play somehow mm-hmm. um I, I would try and stick I would do I would probably I would probably try and stick as close I would well the, the cheat is you do it as a period piece sure and if you do it on stage and, you can do that more easily yeah and, and, and or even you know you could do it with phones you could make the phone it could be like about the phone right. even more so than Schlesinger made it about the phone um, 
But it's like, you know, those, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty radical. Those kids smoking pot in the bedroom, like those little kids, they're like five years old and they smoke a pot and it's, and they all get high and they, you know, go to the park. It's like, um, yeah, I don't know. You could, I don't know that that movie would get past muster today. I think there'd be, they wouldn't, it was, it's, 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 uh, too, there's something kind of radical about its non-adherence to structure and it's some of its subject, yeah. And its lack of lack of lack of um, sh- shamelessness and 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 uh, it's 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 shamelessness and it's it's lack of, of sort of anybody getting the getting their comeuppance somehow. Yeah, it's almost more contemporary in that way, yeah. but in a way that works against it, grabbing a new audience. But I look at you know obviously. Um, what, what um, what's his name? Weekend in forty five years. Oh, he, Andrew Haight. Yeah, he. This is this is that world. Yeah, you know that this is the world of Sunday Bloody Sunday and forty five years. They are they are a companion. I think where things are simply that lived in. Yeah, when the just... movies, it's about forty five years. He's telling you what it's about. It's about forty five years, and that's what it is. Yeah, you know, and so something happens, and that's it. Something happens, and then the end. Something happens, but what? And people, all the ending of forty-five years. You know, I've had lots of conversations. I know what that ending is. Okay, but you know, right. so do other people. Right, right and right. it's not what I know. But there's this that conversation about what is that? What is she? Why does she do that? And it's genius. Yeah. I think everyone has. Huh. I was going to say everyone has grounds. Everyone has a, a you know, like the film. It makes it possible based on who your sympathies lie with to read it either way. Sure. But there is only one right answer. Oh, I know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> and Weekend. I mean, oh, God, the best. What a great movie that is. Yeah, there are, I'm surprised there haven't been five more. Like, that people haven't immediately tried to knock that off. You can't do it in North America. They won't let you. Yeah. You can't. There's nothing happens. What happens? They get together. And... Well, they fall in love, kind of. Kind of? Yeah, sort of. Well, then what? Well, then, you know, nothing. Yeah. What do you mean, nothing? <laughs> it's like, you, you, no way you could get that movie made here. Yeah. Well, just tell... Well, but there's, you know, you need the other gimmick. You need Before Sunrise. You need um, a film that I just saw called Southside With You about the first date that Barack oh, yeah. Obama and, right. and Michelle right. Robinson had. That's how you get away with it. Nothing happens. They go to an art... They go to the art museum. They go to a community meeting. They go see Do the Right Thing. All of that happened on that day and then the future and that's it like that's the movie and the only way to do it is because he's president now like, that's right. the hook the and then hook you know well, you, you know have... where they end up yeah the it's end. it's the better call Saul thing you but know where I, this is going. I worry a bit about the make filmmaking in this country because people have become so like we're so you know we're struggling we're fighting over the money and we're struggling to get the money and they're like what's a million dollar movie now mm. it's uh, like we're you know we're better off trying to do a five hundred thousand dollar movie uh, than that that million one point two million movie is kind of disappearing like what that is yeah. so then you got to start spending three and if you're spending three well then you've got to have something's got to happen that you can explain to a producer right now right like someone's got to, the money in the case the case has to be misplaced and taken by someone else someone has to be kidnapped somebody has to be you know right. something there has to be a real real engine on yeah. that it's bizarre too that the i mean the the canadian films the independent films i'm thinking of now are stuff like diamond tongues or uh how heavy this hammer and tower uh, kaz Rudwanski's films 
the stuff now that really just focuses on people and situations, that's the cheapest stuff to make because drama is free, right? Like emotions are, emotions cost nothing. It's, it's what uh, Chandler Levac and, and I were talking about about Eric Romare and his legacy in mumblecore movies is that, you know, like Andrew Bajowski understood that all you need is a formal point of view and people having conflicts of their own making, like emotional entanglement. It doesn't cost anything. If you have good actors, that's the investment. And I have no, I have all the confidence in the filmmakers and the audiences yeah, in wanting it's, that. It's, it's the, the fear pe- of the, the money. It's right? the producers like, who, you have to play it to them. Yeah, who want who want to, to taste the corn today. Right. They want it popped, and we haven't planted it yet. Yeah. You know, and and so and and certainly conflict and these things and that those kinds of like more traditional experience, filmic experiences or more or or what have become now contemporary traditional or whatever you would call that expected um i think can come holistically like we talked at the beginning about like when you know your characters when your characters start to speak then you can things will start to happen but to impose it at the beginning like some kind of an idea or a manifesto um you're only ever going to go that far you're never going to go any it's never going to it's never going to surpass the what you insist it is yeah, and the problem with that is that it smothers the potential of something like Sunday Bloody Sunday or the potential of, uh, I was thinking of Leonard Farlinger's I'm Yours yeah. uh, with Receive Sutherland and, and Corrine Van Ness, which for its first 45 minutes could go anywhere. And when it settles on something, that's fine. But that incredible sense of like this bubbling possibility that it's just in the relationship between these characters and whatever choice they make is going to be interesting, that... like. I give me three hours of that and I'm there. That's, yeah, that's I'm, I'm like that. I, I like, you know, someone, a producer once told me, uh, you should be able to watch a movie with the sound down and still get the story, which is like, you might as well just stab me in the face <laughs> is to say that to me as a writer. I noticed that with, like, of all things, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was on uh, cable somewhere and I watched, the, it was the last 20 minutes, 25. And it, it's true, but there's no dialogue because that's the climax. And I was just watching it for the craft. I, I But I would, you know, I wouldn't care if they hadn't. I happened to watch it. when I just after I heard that I happened to stumble upon uh, Stage Beauty, you know Claire Danes oh, and yeah. Billy Crudup, yeah. and um, I thought it started. I was I don't know if I was watching it. It was television. Anyway, it's, this movie started, and I thought okay, so I turned the sound down. And this is a movie where they talk. Yeah, yeah. Didn't need it. I knew exactly what was happening. It was terrifying. <laughs> Not a great movie, not a movie that I would want to watch again, but yet right. it was a movie that, you know, got made, people saw it, and yeah. didn't need to hear a word they said. God. I terrifying. Wonder, I wonder how Crudup and Danes would feel about that. I yeah. guess face acting has its own, like, certainly on Homeland, that's her thing. With well, but you expect, you know, it's like the setup, and the you start to, you know what the shot is, you know what, oh, that shot, oh, mm-hmm. yes, and you, the show's dirty, and I know why, because they're, you know, you just start yeah, to understand yeah. the language of the visuals, and you don't need them talking. Yeah. But I love dialogue, and that's, you know, Bruce has been, um, um, Bruce McDonald, who I um, work with a lot, and he, he's been asking for a chamber piece for me for a long oh, yeah. time, and... I keep, you know, I started and then of course it was like, oh, it's so fun. It's so, like, it's so great, right? you know, movies, theater, you get to go places if you're in a movie, right? You yeah, actually sure. go somewhere. But of course that's very expensive um, to start going places. And so every time I start these chamber pieces, they end up, you know, like the trigger, the movie that I wrote for Bruce, for Tracy Wright and Molly Parker, 
started off was supposed to be an homage to my dinner with Andre and they were supposed to just have dinner oh, so they never left canoe yeah but I was like oh come on like what do you, you know let's go we gotta do this and we gotta do that and Bruce was like alright yeah I guess it's true and so <laughs> we started like and it was like oh a love letter to Toronto great we'll go you know we can go here and we can do this and, and so it turned out but so now finally I'm, I'm trying to write him a, a chamber piece I understand now and it's partly by, by freaking out about conflict and I'm like Okay, if I if we only have to spend five hundred thousand dollars, we can get away without like selling conflict right from the very beginning. Right. So I'm kind of looking. It's a, sort of practical, but see now I want to ask what it is, and I don't want to know because I want to find out when I see it. Yeah, you'll see. It's fun. It's actually I'm 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 writing for Molly. I want to. I love Molly. Molly's a friend of mine, and she's just getting better and better and better and better. And yeah. I just and, saw her in uh, the Ninth Life of Louis Drax, where she has a genuinely thankless role and just makes it interesting by being short-tempered. She's on FX now. She's doing uh, doing a lawyer thing with Billy Bob uh, Billy Bob Thornton. And, oh, really? And she's really happy. She likes the part. She's a ter- she's she just her words were she's a horrible bitch, and okay. um, so she's enjoying that because she she gets to she. I think she struggles when she when her characters are forced to. Make weak choices. Mm-hmm. She doesn't. She that's always disappointing. Right. So I, I think she's here, and this she has an opportunity to make some really strong choices. Oh, cool. So I, and so I'm I'm kind of it's sort of Bruce and Molly is and in, in, is the, the kind of the, the focus. So um, yeah. So we'll see that we'll, we're just trying to write something now. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, that actually does bring me to the to the final question, which is the uh, the same one all the time. Is like, what of Sunday Bloody Sunday have you? co-opted or stolen or borrowed or just incorporated into your own storytelling DNA? Well, the, all the stuff that's not getting my movies made. <laughs> like, quiet, still, <laughs> acting, moments, feeling, yeah. observation, you know. I, but you know I say that, but what it does, when I look at it, it gives me hope that, yes, you can do that and it can be compelling. And some people won't, some people find that boring. That's fine. You know, that's okay. Every, everything's, this is, if I, I would, well, this is what I want on my tombstone. Everything doesn't have to be for everybody. It's okay. Yeah. You don't have to like it. It's not for you then. What? Congratulations. Yeah. You know this isn't for you. You can go somewhere else and do something else and see something else. But there's this idea that somehow everything's potentially going to be for everybody. Anyway. Well, so, that's what makes 1.5 billion, right? Like it's, it's no it's longer... everybody. Yeah, it's no, no longer important. Or well, how was it explained? Um, right after Batman v Superman came out and underperformed by making like $800 million worldwide instead of $1.5 billion or whatever it did take, Warner announced that their reaction to this was that they were going to scale back mid-range production and pour everything into the tent poles, take bigger gambles, because you spend $300 million to make a billion, it's more comfortable as an equation than spend $20 million to make $60 million, because if it doesn't make $60 million, you've lost, you know, like the gambles. Right. Even if Suicide Squad doesn't break a billion dollars it still makes money it doesn't make as much as they wanted but it still profits right so midnight special comes out the week after batman v superman is a better superman movie than batman v superman is really just this great jeff nichols film with michael shannon as a father yes i know about it fantastic film no one went to see it it started it came back it came out on dvd at the end of june i think and i just wrote about it again and said hey it's out please watch this it's really really good and people like oh yeah i meant to see that but now everybody just waits. You wait for VOD, you wait for DVD. I mean, yeah. now that's what yeah. would happen to Sunday Bloody Sunday. Yeah. Like eight yeah. screens in North yeah, America. that's right. But it would find its audience. Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing, you know, and this is the comfort that I take, is that that $1.8 billion, mm-hmm. I, that's none of that is my money. <laughs> none of it. I don't, it's not my, my deal is Wednesday afternoon with seven people 
Like that's my. I'm like I'm that I'm that kind of old man theater goer <laughs> guy who doesn't want. I don't like all the people. There's too. It's too crowded, yeah. and I, they don't. You're spilling things on me, and it's yeah. loud, and there are commercials, and it's like I just come in late at the Carlton, <laughs> and you know, I just sit there with like the eight other people or whatever, and it's you know, which is I mean, it's not. I guess that can't be the future of filmmaking. Yeah, it's or not the most successful viewing. model. Yeah, yeah, not the yeah. most successful. But there's something that's you know, for me, it's incredibly comforting. That's how I saw 45 years, and well, that'd be perfect. Oh my God, I wept. I couldn't get up. It was so, yeah, it was so great. Yeah. I mean, that's my press screening experience. There's 20 people in a varsity screening room at 10 in the morning, and that's fine. Um, but you I, like the whole buzz of it all, right? Eh, less and less. I think for me it was when they brought nachos in. Because that's oh, disgusting. Oh, that's terrible, the I know. The smell and the sound of the crunching yeah. and people just fumbling with Melted them. cheese, yeah. no. Don't do that in a, th- in a crowd. No, 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 that's a, do that at home. That's where it started. That Melt was your cheese at home. Other people are bad. Well, no, you know what Sartre said. What hell is, you know what hell what hell is according yeah. to Sartre, right? Yeah. Well, this is helping. Uh, yeah. The yeah. Idea of a private box where you can just sit away from people and watch stuff. Uh, we're going to watch the hip tomorrow night and oh, great! Up, but this is as close as I'm going to get to the um, actual experience. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, it's um. Yeah, it's a weird, like, but but this is also why people are turning away from movie theaters. This this scale question now that hd is where it is you can actually do something this big you can watch a movie and the comp- like i'm going to watch tiff screeners in here and they're going to be better uh, right than it would right be if i was but, but when i laptop. think about you know it's fun i would say yes and it's you know i don't need to be out with in the world with people or but i do remember there was something about 45 years specifically when i saw it and i saw remember i saw it at the carlton and i was it was, it was near the end of the run and it was you know wednesday afternoon right. there were eight people i don't know and i and when it was done, I was so, I just was, I wept. I just sat there and I couldn't get up. And then, mm. and I can't even tell you why. It did, I just, right. you know, there was something about what she did in those last moments. And I was, I, so the thing was well over and I got up and as I walked out, there was a woman sitting and I thought, oh, wow, like she, right. her too. Right. You know, so you, I wouldn't have had a her too if I'd rented it on iTunes and watched it at home. And there's something really beautiful about knowing that there's other people out there having feelings like you are yeah that's that's what's always going to get me to go back even if it is you know you know 600 people eating nachos I, I <laughs> all of them i want to know 600 uh, people eating nachos. <laughs> but i want it to be that i want to know that they're feeling they might not be feeling the same thing but yeah we're all feeling something at the thing on the wall yeah yeah my thanks to daniel mciver who'll be in toronto for the world premiere of weirdos this friday september 9th at 7 p.m at the tiff bell Lightbox. He'll probably still be there for the movie's second screening Sunday, September 11th at 8.45 a.m. at the Isabel Bader Theatre. If you're in town, you should check those out. You can follow Daniel on Twitter at Daniel McIver, all one word, and you can find Sunday Bloody Sunday on DVD and Blu-ray in a very fine special edition from the Criterion Collection. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. This week's call sign is, I just haven't found the right person yet. Thanks for listening. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.